like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books, then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. The podcast brought to you by the sciencefictionary.com where we discuss all things superheroes, comic books, uh, action adventure in the world of pop culture. I'm Daniel and join me today are Andrew. What's going on? And Marisha. Hey y'all. And David. Hello. How's everybody doing? Good? Yeah, everybody's doing good. Uh, stir crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Marisha got so stir crazy she went fishing with me. It's true. <laughs> Well, Marisha's not a fishing type of gal. Actually, I was going to start with something else. But speaking of that, what what are we watching during quarantine? Like, apparently, Andrew and Marisha are watching the bobber in the water. So, But I actually caught myself today watching The Rocketeer I hadn't seen in years. Oh, wow. I need to watch that one. I bet you've never seen that. No. It's on Disney Plus, isn't it? It, uh, is. it should be, yeah. That's where I found it. I think I saw it when we were scrolling through. It was one of the things Andrew's like, ooh, whenever he came across it, but we haven't yeah, watched it. Yeah, we need it. to watch that. Mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting to, to find out what everybody is uh, watching while they're stuck at home and can't go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, today today really was my first day of just being stuck at home. I've been uh, working through all this until today. So I found myself watching The Rocketeer. I'm caught up on Clone Wars. Um, nice. I think tomorrow I'm probably going to watch Willow again. Disney Plus is my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff so on what's, there. What's everybody been watching? Oh, we've been watching Lord of the Rings. Those extended but cuts are long. Those always have very good replay value. You know, I, I, I remember watching them in a theater when I was like 16 and thinking, I wonder... 20 years from now, if this is going to hold up, you know, yeah, is this they look, like they were made yesterday? They mm-hmm. do, you know, because I remember thinking, like, I know it looks so cool now, but I wonder if, you know, it, it just, if it's going to hold up, if it's going to continue to, to, if it's going to be outdated. Uh, but it's not. It, it's, man, it's something. And uh, the kids are obsessed so elijah has pretty much had a running dialogue going for a couple of days now about Gollum and how Gollum talks to himself and smeagol is not very nice but he's nicer than Gollum. <laughs> that's an interesting way of looking at it <laughs> yeah just like on on loop you know he's five so pretty much everything just sort of circles back around to whatever it was we already said um so, yeah, he's been um, – this is the first time – we've watched it with the girls before, but they were pretty small. Uh, this is the first time I think they've actually followed the story. Um, we watched The Hobbit back a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and they were like, what happens after? We were like, <laughs> we watched the whole Dadgum series. and like, we don't remember. So then we had to watch them again. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's been kind of fun because they've really been sort of engaging with it, you know, um, kind of with the themes and actually following the storyline a little better instead of just thinking, you know, the hobbits are funny. Uh, I would. Sorry. No, go ahead, David. 
I would easily argue that those films are are the best movies ever made. I'm not saying they are. But I would. I think it'd be very safe to argue that it, that the, that that it is. I would, at the very least, concede that it's the best trilogy ever made. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, as a, as a whole, there's not there's no weak link. No, there's not. No, there's not. And like you said, those movies look so incredible. Mm-hmm. They're they're so timeless and hold up and. And that's what, in my head, kind of puts it in that position of, like... I just remember every time... Every time... I wouldn't usually just call it the best movie ever made, but every time I watch it, what comes to my head... Like, I, what just keeps going through my head is, these are the best movies ever made. These are the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And I just can't get that thought out, because it's, it's, it, they're so good. There's, I love every second of yeah, them. Yes, so cinematic. And beautiful. Beautiful, the way they did it. And you know why it holds up? Because of the use of practical effects all over the movie mm-hmm. um the 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 real sets the 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 models they built yeah uh, the force perspective and the, all the of force that perspective mm-hmm. right yeah it's a great story about how they used real props on set yeah in new zealand and it made for some really interesting moments like whenever um when aragorn kicks the helmet after find after thinking that uh Mary and Pippin are dead and mm-hmm. breaks his toe. Right. So that scream is real. Like, you wouldn't have gotten that. Like, I'm sorry he broke his to- toe, <laughs> but you wouldn't have gotten that if, with, if it's not for the real things for these actors to interact with. And it, it brings out mm-hmm. a level of acting you don't get by standing in front of a green screen. <laughs> Marvel. So I really love right. that movie. Uh, and even and more him, so. Him, <laughs> kicking, him kicking the helmet's not even in the script because the prop guys were like, Ooh, if we had known you were supposed to kick the helmet, we put a foam one down there, you know, <laughs> a real metal helmet. It was just kind of, you know, one of those things in the moment. Well, those are the moments you keep. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but I mean, just so... Well, and the, the interesting thing, of course, you know, because I'm always a lore person. I'm always a, you know, read the book and the books about the books. And I've read all... I've, I'm, I have even been known to read unknown, you know, the unfinished tales. Um, I have not read all the way through them because there's like 12 volumes or something ridiculous of them. But I have been known to like sit down and like read through a half a dozen different drafts of the first three chapters of The Fellowship of the Rings. And they did such a good job at pulling kind of auxiliary store, you know, information in um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, so sort of building the world uh, really well. Right. I- I love how when you mentioned 12 volumes, Andrew turned and looked at the bookshelf like he was going to count them. Yeah, now, unfortunately, I don't have all of those. I, I, I want them, but I, I don't have all of those. I do have a lot of Tolkien stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually, uh, the other day, one day last week, it's uh, February, I'm sorry, March 25th every year is Tolkien Reading Day. And uh, I read... I got most of the way. I got most of the way through that copy of Beowulf. Mm, yeah, I do want to read that. It's excellent. I actually bought the audiobook. Um, and, and uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight too. Uh, because I mean, there, there's no beating a translation done by a scholar who is also a poet. You know, he was a linguist. Exactly. Was he was a linguist. Passion. Exactly. And he he understands languages and he understands the original language that they were actually written in. So that's, 
it's always really fascinating to read. You know, because there's always like, oh, what's the best translation? You know, people are like, oh, it's, you know, whatever, this one done by a, you know, the poet. He doesn't actually understand the language. Someone had to tell him what it said, and then he had to render it. And it's like, no, no, no. Find me the guy who writes poetry and reads the original language. And Tolkien, you know, Tolkien's that that guy. Uh, so, yeah, at some point we'll have to do a we'll have to do a talking heavy episode but yeah david what what have you been watching what have i been watching um see i really want to take this time to watch something new but i'm that i'm that office fan who keeps like mm, should i watch a new show no i'll rewatch the office for the 18th time yeah, or whatever that's, that's what so I'm i've been doing. watching plenty of the office um we don't really got to talk about that but just know that whenever <laughs> i don't know what to watch what goes on my tv or my cell phone whatever random episode of the office i click on yeah but i've been i've been watching a lot of marvel movies disney plus is my friend mm-hmm. and really should watch something new but i've been re-watching the walking dead just like the first four seasons over and over that i've been re-watching daredevil netflix's daredevil and netflix's the punisher because john bernthal is so good in the walking dead that it made me want to go watch the punisher after shane died so nothing new, nothing special, just just some shows that I know I'm going to like. It's like going to a restaurant and ordering the same thing over and over again. Yep. That's me, though. Like, everyone's like, oh, what are you reading? I'm like, I'm reading Lord of the Rings again? Or, yeah. you know, it's like I, I kind of cycle. I read Jane Austen novels, and I read Lord of the Rings, and I read Harry Potter. And every once in a while, I read something else, and I was like, well, that's not as good as... Jane Austen or Dickens or Tolkien. So why mm-hmm. would I bother? And then they go back to my my same old um, staples. I tend to right. do the same thing with TV too. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It's and people don't get it sometimes. You know, uh, rewatching movies is a you know super normal thing. But I talk to a lot of people and I'm like, oh, I'm rewatching The Walking Dead, and they're like, Haven't you already seen it? And I'm like, Yeah, and. Like right. it's it's inter- if it's entertaining it's entertaining. Yes, absolutely. If it's even good, though you know what happens, it's it's still good. Something about especially it. if you're if you're anywhere in the first four seasons of that show. Yeah, you, you know how do is that was a great show. Yeah, and I'm like David too with The Office. I will every time The Office is on TV, I will stop. Mm-hmm. I do I do the same thing with Seinfeld or Friends. Yeah, I'll rewatch so, those, but not like I will The Office. I, the Office is yeah. one that I've probably watched all the way through it at least 10 times. And mm-hmm. it just, I, so I habitually, when I when I work, I tend to have the TV going. When and by I, when tens, he means he always, always has the TV going. Um, if I don't, if I don't have TV going, I tend to wind up just poking around the internet instead of actually doing work. So I turn the TV on. But what I do, and the reason I haven't been watching a whole lot of new stuff yet during all this is because I tend to watch stuff I've seen before when I'm kind of, my attention's kind of on other things. And so I right. watch The Office or Friends or, or things like that. X-Files. Or, or I'm, watching, X-Files. I'm watching a lot of the X-Files right now. Um, uh, you can't go wrong with X-Files most of the time either. No. People, people forget. I really do think... And I do know X-Files came back for a couple of new seasons here a couple of years ago, and it kind of brought attention back to it. But I think that show gets forgotten a little bit. Mm-hmm. It does. I would still call it the best science fiction TV show ever made. 
Well, I mean, geez, Daniel, that that show was made ten years before your son was born. I understand that, but we still talk about uh, Andrew just mentioned best sci-fi TV show ever oh, yeah. made. I think we're forgetting about the original Twilight Zone. If you're <laughs> going to make that claim, the Twilight Zone still gets talked about. Star Trek is still relevant. It, uh, no, Battle I mean Star the, the- Galactica is still relevant. Even look, and the original Battlestar Galactica was not the remake on sci-fi in the 2000s was a fantastic show. But people still knew the name Battlestar, but the 1970s, 80s version of Battlestar Galactica was not the same show. The new one we got was. But even when they made that show, like I said, people still knew the name Battlestar was still relevant. I don't always understand if maybe X-Files doesn't, for some reason, hold up to that same level of visibility. Even though it recently had two new seasons, I think that show gets forgotten. That is one of the best television shows ever made. People still talk about Twin Peaks more than they do Mm X-Files. And Twin Peaks just got weird. (laughs) Like, to a whole other level, weird. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know why it is that X-Files falls off so many people's radar. You know, it was one of the biggest shows on TV when it was in its original run. Or maybe I'm wrong. If, you know, if there's more of a following or visibility to X-Files, please let me know. Because I love the show. I just know it it doesn't seem like when you start listing the great sci-fi shows, you're obviously going to mention the ones I've already mentioned. Twilight Zone, Mm -hmm. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And you start going down the list, Battlestar, some of the newer sci-fi shows, even though it only lasted one season, the newer sci-fi fans will tell you Firefly is one of the best TV shows oh, yeah. ever made. And we won't disagree. We're all big Firefly fans, um, except I don't think David has seen that series yet still. It's a travesty. Oh. <laughs> travesty. Well, you have to wait until we finish Star Trek because you got to watch it and we got to talk about it. But of of all those shows I just mentioned, other than Twilight Zone, and I really need to go back and double check this, what I'm pissing to say, of its original run, X-Files had the longest run. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, the original Star Trek only ran for two or three seasons, right? Three seasons. Three seasons, okay. Three seasons, and thank God... Because the third season gave it the bare minimum of episodes it needed to go into syndication. Mm -hmm. We never would have seen it again. Yeah, X-Files original run was nine. Right, that's what I thought. And those were all 20-plus episode seasons. What was the original run on Twilight Zone? The original, okay, so the original 1959 series ran ran five seasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well... Okay, yeah, it ran five seasons. And the episode count was all over the place. 36 in its first year, 36 in its last. The fourth one only had 18, second one 29, the, the middle one, the third one actually had 37 episodes. It was kind of all over the place. But a great show. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, that's actually, so we're talking about stuff to binge watch. I might see if I can find some place. Is the original? The original is on CBS All Access? I bet it is. I'm sure it is with them bringing that, with them bringing the show back. I'm sure. I can't imagine them doing that and not Mm -hmm. having it available, the original available. That's uh, that's what I was just thinking. Is that reboot out yet? 
Oh yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. yeah. The, it's, yeah. It, it's ran a season already. And, oh, okay. I yeah, and has been picked up for a second. You know, actually, I heard I was, some real mixed stuff on it, but that seems to be everything these yeah. days. Actually, we we yep. do need to watch that because I really liked the trailer. The trailer was amazing. Re- remember with Jordan Peele? Yeah. Um, they, uh, it was a Super Bowl trailer, wasn't it? Now I have been watching a new series on Netflix called A Letter for the King. That's mm-hmm. a, a fantasy series. I'm really I'm I'm a few episodes in. I'm kind of I feel like about it like I do a lot of Netflix series. I'm still waiting for it to take off. It's on my watch list. I haven't but started, I'm, but I am watching it, and it's. I mean, it's not so far. It's not spectacular, but you know, it's watchable. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Now that one looks more just straight medieval, or are there some fantasy elements? There's supposed in it? to be some fantasy elements to it, but we're not seeing a lot of them at this point. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's got some stuff to do with the character doesn't really know his background and is kind of learning it through this season. Is that his, when we... his adopted father in the story is uh, the guy that plays Faramir. And, oh, uh, and, now I have to watch it. Faramir is my favorite. Very underrated actor. He doesn't know mm-hmm. who his actual father is, and there's some mystery about it. And okay. he's kind of sent on this quest um, by happenstance and so i'm assuming that we're going to learn we're beginning to learn more and more about see more fantasy elements begin to creep into it mm-hmm. but so far it's pretty much just straight medieval it is on my watch list i did want to check it out um i've been reading some things too so i and marisha mentioned when she picks up books and she has a rereading lord of the rings or whatever i've kind of gone through and reread some comic books and one of them I read the other day I decided I needed to praise because I really did forget how great this was was Silver Surfer Parable um, I don't know if any of you are actually familiar with the story I'm talking about I read a synopsis of it on, on the internet Yeah, she, yeah. she read it to me while we were setting up the synopsis while we were setting up I was not familiar with it either uh, The that story is that's my favorite Silver Surfer story. He's one of my favorite characters. He gets involved in all the cosmic, <laughs> all the cosmic elements of the Marvel Universe. Silver Surfer's usually involved. Mm-hmm. He or Adam Warlock are both. But this one's very grounded on Earth. Galactus comes back to Earth uh, after he had promised to stay away. He, you know, anyway, he came back. And we see there's a lot of religious elements to this. Uh, people actually start worshiping Galactus as a deity and Silver Surfer's involvement in that. And I'm not going to go spoiler heavy. I just love that story and I love how we can examine ourselves as humans through non through alien characters. One of the great things about one of the great things Star Trek does that we always mm-hmm. love so much is his ability to do that. Silver Surfer's that same kind of character. He's he's the moral center we all should strive for in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Parable does a great job of examining that. And so just anybody listening, if you're looking for something to read, uh, you haven't read Silver Surfer Parable, go pick that up. Actually written by Stan Lee. And Stan Lee gets a lot of criticism for 
obviously a lot of credit for his hand in creating what we now know as the Marvel Universe. All these fantastic characters he had a hand in creating. His imagination is without question. Um, a lot of people over the years want to actually try to question Stan's ability as a writer. But in the Silver Age of Marvel Comics, you have to understand the man basically wrote every single issue of every single comic book they printed for four or five years. Every one of them. Hmm. It's unreal. But if you ever doubt Stan's ability to craft a complex story, read this. You'll never doubt it again. It is a fantastic read. They actually were able to get Morbius involved in the artwork on this book. And the artwork is gorgeous. It so fits the mood for what this book is. Morbius is a actually a French artist. Um, and he did some, some American work, but mostly a French artist. A lot of his work was printed in Europe and, and here also, but with, you know, European publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really one of the really well-respected artists that we've ever had in this industry. And he, he draws very open. There's not a lot of line work, but it's very crisp. It's very expressive. And the artwork fits the story beautifully. Stan wrote a beautiful story for this. If you ever doubted that man could write, go read this book. So I, I'm, I'm going to recommend Super Surfer Parable this week. We don't do a whole lot of comic book stuff. We do some of it that is something we all enjoy, especially myself. And like I said, I have been doing some reading the last few days and had reread that story. And actually a story I originally found through Chris Pierce. And I'm going to go ahead and just say this student plan on saying this, but I want to tell you, if you don't subscribe to Comic Tropes on YouTube or to Comic Tropes Twitter channel or Chris Pierce uh, Twitter, you should do that. Some of the best comic book content you'll ever find on the internet is Comic Tropes on YouTube by Chris Pierce. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And awesome. Have you, have you read, uh, have you read the, the newer Silver Surfer story, Silver Surfer Black? I have not read Silver Surfer Black yet. And I just sat here and praised all this Silver Surfer stuff. And I have not read that story yet, but I do know what you're talking about. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Just, just so, um, just so you guys know, I'm sure, I'm sure you know what's going on in there, but in Silver Surfer Black, Silver Surfer battles the god of the symbiotes. The mm. symbiotes as in, like, Venom. Oh. It turns out that there is a god of them, and he's and Silver Surfer goes to battle. Seems like, no, it is absolutely insane. But it's a, it's a beautiful-looking book. It's written by Donny Cates. came out uh, just a couple months ago, I think in December. Uh, it's a great book. Awesome. I do mostly enjoy Donny Cates, but I am not some of the new some of this this lore around the symbiotes that they've come up with the last couple of years. I am just not down with. Uh huh. So, um, and I think this is this is what it is. Uh, it's basically so you guys know about Venom, right? You're aware, yes. yeah. of course. Yeah. So what they've established recently is that Venom it comes from this this planet that is pretty much like this giant goop of 
symbiote. Mm-hmm. Right? And it just shoots out like symbiote goops everywhere. And and on it lives this this like vampire looking dude named Null, who is the god of the symbiotes, and he wants to take over the world and infect it with his darkness. And it's so like edgy, but I I don't love it, but I, I, I enjoy the the goofiness of it. Um, I think Jack Kirby would approve of such a thing. Um, yeah, but that's what's going on. That's it. So if you watch Spider-Man three, if yes. you watch Spider-Man three, just remember that, that, that symbiote you're seeing comes from, comes from that. There's more where that came from. <laughs> exactly. Well, there is. Well, we already knew the symbiote was an, an alien life form. I had no problem with them being, having yeah. their own planet, being a race of an alien species, whatever. We knew that already. But some of this, what, was it Kate's or Bendis that was writing that book at the time when they came up with the idea that the Venom symbiont was uh, inherently good and it had just been disconnected from its collective for so long that it had lost its way and it had to go back and reconnect to, and, and come back to its true nature and be good so they could justify having the venom symbiote be a hero for a little while. Who who came up with that stupid crap? Was that was that Case or Bendis? I feel like it was Bendis. Sounds like, like something I, Bendis would do. Yeah, it definitely sounds like something Bendis would do. I don't think Kate had uh had come around at that point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's Bendis. Uh definitely sounds like something Bendis would do. <laughs> but yeah, um I don't know how I feel about that either cuz it kind of establishes this idea that the venom is good. And just because of like being gone from so long and also just his emotional breakup trauma with Peter Parker, that he became this evil being. He's a basically a, a crazy ex-girlfriend is what the Venom symbiote is. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, uh, yeah. That's Venom. Anyway. Comic books are weird. You comic books are weird. All this stuff's weird, David. <laughs> <laughs> one of my but favorite weird things is good. Do, I know weird one of my good. favorite things to do is when I'm talking to my friends who don't all read comic books is just start talking about a story that's like gonna blow their minds because they're like aware of these characters. I'm like, have you guys heard about the time that uh, Batman fought a uh, a little man named Batmite who was from another dimension? And they're like, what? And I'm like, let me tell you a story. It's one of my favorite things to do. That's why I love and, comic books so much. And let's also not forget the time that Superman and Batman had to team up to battle to battle the, the two imps because Batmite and Mr. Mixopliskit had teamed up together and it took Superman and Batman both together to defeat the two imps. Yeah, of course. It's awesome. Naturally. Yeah. I yeah. love my friend's he reaction. Mr. Mixopliskit into saying his name backwards, which is whatever. <laughs> Uh, then that's how you defeat him. Yeah. Which actually one of, one, of the, one of the best shows of Superman the animated series is just it's ten minutes, ten or fifteen minutes worth of Superman finding different ways to make him say his name backwards. And at the end of it he finally gets bored with it and they actually it's it's hilarious. I show. can't remember how many different ways he came up with to trick him into saying his name backwards. That's <clears throat> But one of my favorite things we can we don't have to stay on this comic books a weird topic, but just one of my favorite things ever was when I told my friends that the Flash travels back in time by running on a treadmill. 
They did not believe me. I had to show them a picture <laughs> of the cosmic <laughs> treadmill. They were like, that is so... Why can't you just go back in time? And I'm like, oh, no, comic books. There's the cosmic treadmill. The I'm great here. cosmic treadmill, though, is that if he gets Batman to stand on the treadmill while he's running on, he can take Batman back in time with him. Oh, mm-hmm. naturally. And then they can and go just on a fun know, This is not... When you tell these stories, people think it's stupid, <laughs> golden age or silver age, dumb stories. The one with Flash and Batman going back in time happened like three years ago. On a treadmill. <laughs> the cosmic treadmill. The cosmic treadmill. Mm-hmm. The new 52 exists in part because of the cosmic of treadmill. The cosmic treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a brave new world out there, huh? Oh, God, I love comic books. I swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But speaking of comic books, though, did y'all see where Diamond Distributors has shut down shipping to the comic book shops? Yeah. I did. I mean, who all does that cover? I know that covers Marvel and DC. Does that cover any of any? DC, Image, Dark Horse, ID. So it's it's everybody. everybody. No, Diamond Distributors has a monopoly on mm-hmm. uh, distributorship for comic books. It is what it is. Uh, DC Comics now has, though, um, DC has planned to use other distribution methods to make their deliveries to the LCSs. But I'm also not sure how much good it even does. How many comic book shops are even open right now? I, I, I mean, mean, a lot of states have shut, you know. Uh, yeah, Mississippi really hasn't look- shut down yet, but Louisiana shut down, Florida shut down. You know, I mean, I know I haven't necessarily kept tabs, but I mean, there's an well, awful I- lot of states where everything non-essential is shut down right now. Well, comic right. books are essential. Uh huh. Excuse me. Um, but no, like uh, what I've actually seen a lot of is these shops are closed down, but. They've switched over to making deliveries mm-hmm. to people on their mailing list, right? So they can mail it to you. But then I've, I've seen like curbside pickup be a thing. If mm-hmm. a book comes in that you were on their mailing list and you, you ordered, you can come by and pick it up. Uh, so I saw a picture of some comic book owners who got a truck and put all their comic books in the back of a truck and were driving from like their cousin and like emailed all their customers and were like, want us to come by and like went to their house and um like had like their selection in the back of their truck for their customers to look at and stuff wow. like that uh people just do whatever they can but now if if diamonds close down then then they can't then they're not comic books coming in then they can't do that mm-hmm. so that really sucks but it's just uh is what it is gotta do what we gotta do i guess but man they got comic books. Now I'm really mad. I do know one one of the concerns there also was whether or not they were going to continue uh, digital. And they say they are, which I don't see any reason for them not to. I guess part of the concern there is if you have the digital comic release but not the print comic, how many people are just going to go ahead and pick up the digital while they can because it's out. And then whenever the print finally makes it to the shops they won't bother buying the print then you're hurting the shops and it's it's all a gray area and we've talked on this show before about sort of the print 
arm of comic books dying or being in danger or I don't know. And it is a legitimate concern. Everything in the world now goes to digital and people don't buy as many comics as they used to digitally or print for that matter. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I do there's concern about them about hurting the the comic book shops or the print medium of their of their industries by continuing to print the digital but I don't know can you really justify not doing the digital I don't know man it's tough because you, you look at it comic book shops local shops are going to struggle really more than anyway being closed for this month right or so. so so they're struggling Local shops, but yeah. The shops don't come back at all if Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and everybody else sink their publishing arm during this. And, and and if they, you know, those companies are all hanging on kind of by a thread too. And depending on how long the shutdown goes, if you're not putting something out there and making money, you know, like digital, then mm-hmm. you, there's got to be something left for the shops to. There's got to be somebody left to sell stuff for the shops to sell when this is all over. Right. Right. They they can't totally lose their customer base. Well, not just yeah. lose their customer base. It's like, you know, you, you can't have Marvel saying, well, you know what? We just can't crank the publishing arm back up because of this, because we lost so much money. Like, you know, those companies mm-hmm. need to still keep it's making coming. money too. You got it because you got to keep paying your, you got to keep your artists and you got to keep your writers. Right. And, you gotta keep the cash flow. Right. And even though companies like Marvel and DC have plenty of money just from other uses of their characters, right? Um, they still are going to look at the bottom line as being divided up into, you know, the their the publishing arm of Marvel Comics is not sharing money with Marvel Films. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So that's a valid point, Andrew, actually, and I hadn't even thought of it in those terms, but it, it you've got to you've got to keep business going Somehow. the best way you can. Mm-hmm. And, and they really look at it and decide that the, the guy that's going to buy the digital copy isn't the same guy that's going in the shop and buying the print copy anyway. Yeah. I guess two different customers. But if enough of your print customers begin buying digital during this time, because that's what's available, do they just get stuck with digital and never go back in the shop again? I think the answer is no. I don't think so. I agree. Myself as a collector, I'm not collecting digital copies. Right. You 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 might. a physical medium. You, that, that's the point of the collection. Right. You might lose a few, but like I bought the Kylo Ren books digitally just so I could read them to keep up with them for the other show because we don't have a local shop. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, it's like I can't bring, you know, for me, and it may just be because of like when we grew up, but for me, I hate spending money on something that I don't, that I can't yeah, hold physically. Right. I do the same thing. I have an issue with, because what I own is out there somewhere on a server. It, it, that and it's not worth it. It's not, and, it point in time. and it's not worth anything. It'll never be worth anything. Mm-mm. Marisa, yeah, of course. It sounded like you had a different opinion. You said that uh, you think that like if someone goes digital, when this is all over, you think there's a good chance that they're going to stick with digital because they learned the conveniences or... 
I mean, maybe some people, but honestly, reading a comic book digitally is clunky. It's, um, it doesn't, it does, it doesn't translate the maybe, same. Maybe, although I will say that I like Marvel's uh, online reader that works on the phone because it's literally, you flip through it literally frame by frame. Uh, on the tablet, you've got the whole page and it's a little more clunky, but on the mm -hmm. phone, you just go through frame by frame, which is kind of neat, but it's still not the same as holding that comic mm -hmm. book. And, and I think... Heck, I mean, look at that Kylo Ren book. It sold out all four issues first day. Mm -hmm. Like, all four yeah. issues of that book sold out every print copy on day one. I mean, I think in much the same way that people aren't going to quit buying artwork for their house because they can get online and look at a picture of the Mona Lisa. If you want, you know, if you want a print of a masterwork to hang in your house or just to be in a book, you know, people aren't going to quit buying books of artwork. It's... It's the same reason that the digital picture frame never caught on. Yeah. Right. The digital I, picture frames. I, that. I, I had one that sat on my desk and it flipped through pictures, but honestly, it was never the same as like having that piece of, you know, that photograph mm -hmm. or that piece of art like physically there. And so, I mean, you're always going to have people that are going to want that physical copy. And I think most of your readers, you know, I mean, most people that I know, that not necessarily comic book readers, but just readers in general, if it's a book that, that, you know, if it's just something they're just going to read and they don't really care about, they'll, you know, they'll buy the Kindle version. But if it's something that they're, you know, will read again, people aren't, people don't buy digital copies of books they're going to read more than once. I do. Uh, I will do? actually say that. I do. I've read my digital copies of the Game of Thrones books two or three times. Hmm. Do you um, have do you have a hard copy of it? I do. <laughs> yeah, I actually refuse I to read digital. Point, yeah, I I don't like reading on a tablet. I just I can't I can't do it. I do. I've actually gotten used to it. I I, I enjoy it. A comic book still though to me is something that's that's different. I enjoy having the physical copy of the comic book. It's the same kind of thing we talked about with our movies the other day. I I want the Blu-ray copy. I want the physical mm -hmm. media. Because I don't ever know. You want your wife like to said, have to find a place. Long way. Why would I trust some computer a thousand miles away mm -hmm. with my property that much? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it still feels weird. And maybe it is just the <laughs> age we are. Andrew, like you said, I don't know. But, but well, to the I point agree that, with you. And, and I'm, I feel the same way. I, I like, I collect comic books. I, I'm I'm the I'm part of the digital generation, right? Well, but I'm collecting yeah. a digital comic book. You collect the actual comic book, right? And oh, wait, nowadays, if you're collecting modern comic books now, uh, for their value later, you, you might as well hang it up. You're wasting your time. That is a dump. That the reason these silver and golden age books are worth what they are worth, and some of the bronze age books, because nobody was actually collecting the things. There aren't that many of them left, right. especially not in very good condition. If right. you're buying something to collect it, what do they always say? If it was made to be collected, it ain't worth nothing. This right. is just the mm -hmm. truth. Yeah, I have my collection because I enjoy my collection. The handful of actual books I still go and pick up every week and keep is just because I like those characters or I like those creators or it's, it's something I want to have to just to be able to say and to look at that 
you know, I I have all of Chris Claremont's X-Men. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm going back to something that is actually worth a little bit. But just the point of still going and buying the ones I get now is just because I enjoy reading those books. If I'm going to buy the book and if I'm going to read it, I have enough value into that personally that I'm going to keep it because why would I get rid of it? And, right. and I'm not and, keeping it because I think it's going to pay for Jesse or Jenny's college. Mm-hmm. I, I know better keeping that for me because I enjoy collecting it because I enjoy having them. Yeah. Don't, and, don't and, and, and you know what? It supports your time. It supports buying physical copies, supports the local shops, supports people like that. And that's always a good thing. And I think it's a great conversation piece it's a fun thing to have one of my favorite things to do is to show somebody like my collection of cool stuff right and it's it'd be a lot dumber if i'm like looking on a tablet like sliding through on a tablet like <laughs> to look at this book that i got here got it on on um on, on right. amazon like it's not cool and, and and if you're a digital buyer i'm not trying to we're not trying to bash you or anything like it's perfectly cool no, to buy absolutely. digitally I Keep think it's doing a great that. Thing. You're supporting the hobby too. You are supporting Keep the hobby, and I think I think DC and Marvel should look more into the digital market and what they can do with that. One of DC's most successful books in the past ten years were the Injustice comic books, and for a while those were digital exclusives. It's a great market to get into, and if you're buying digitally, that's great. But I highly encourage you, as a fellow comic book fan, go to a shop and find something cool that is cool for you one of my favorite things i ever own that i've ever owned is the first appearance of a villain called stilt man and it's a guy who just wears really long stilts it's a daredevil comic book it's not valuable at all no but i bought it and it's one of my fav- I, I have I, it's one of my favorite pieces of my collection because i so found beautiful. one of those that that giant box of comic books i've been slowly sorting through i did have that issue in there you had the first appearance of stilt man i did that's awesome. I love that so much. Was it issue number eight? It was issue eight of Daredevil, I think. Or I mean, you are you are talking about a you know a sub ten Daredevil book for a little bit. So Wait, I, I, no, I think I feel like issue number eight was the first appearance of the red costume. That was I number seven. That, that was number seven. I don't remember, um, but still, it's it, it's a. I mean, it's just cool. Like, I remember when I got that book, you were with me, Dad, and you were like, you're buying the first appearance of Stiltman? And I'm like, yeah. I remember when you bought that. You got it in Wizard World, right? I encouraged you to buy it because I knew you had a thing about Stiltman because he was goofy. I know. I know. No, you encouraged me fully, but still for a second, you were like, okay. And it was my proudest thing. And so if you're a digital buyer, it's, it's so much fun to go through comic books and find old stuff. Uh, at the most recent comic book sale, the big sale at, the, at, at me and dad's local shop, I spent like 30 minutes finding every issue of the original Clone Saga, that horrible story of Spider-Man. And just the, I mean, I didn't buy it. It was too expensive, but like, that's what I want. I don't want like, I don't, I'm not trying, you don't buy it for value, but find things that are fun, that are cool to have, that, that tell stories, that are conversation starters, that that are really great to have. One of my favorite gifts that my my dad got me was the first appearance of Nightwing, the first appearance of Deathstroke, and I've had those hanging up ever since he got like the day I got them, I, I hung them up. They're not valuable. I mean, they were, I'm sure they weren't cheap, but I don't have them because they're expensive. I'm never going to sell them. I don't have 
an autograph of Stan Lee because I'm going to sell it one day. I'm, I'm right. never going to sell right. it. Right. That. That's why when I generally, when I get autographs, I'm like, you know, like, do you want it personalized or not? It's like, yeah, personalize it. I'm not selling it. Yeah. Right. I get yeah. every autograph I get personalized if I can. Yeah. The, um, yeah, L- little, little tip. I think a lot of the people are happier to sign things when they're personalized too, because they know you're not just somebody that's looking to run out and sell their sell it as soon as you walk out the door. And people have Neil Adams horror stories. I had the best experience with Neil Adams. You too. And he, he signed my Green Arrow Green Lantern number eighty-five, and it's one of my prized possessions. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met at one of these cons. We've both met him a couple times. I I had him personalize it, and he was just as nice as he could be. I don't know where the horror stories came from. I'm sorry y'all had bad experiences with him. I had a great one, and I will treasure that memory. I remember the look on your face when you met him for the first time. It was like such a joyous, like, oh, it was great. Oh, but the one I really schoolgirled out on was Chris Claremont. I remember that too. I noticed that first. I said, "Oh, Chris Claremont." You sound like such a dumbass around Chris Claremont. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) But I mean, he wrote my he wrote my favorite run of comic books ever written. What was I supposed to do? Right. But anyway, play it cool. But I think when it comes down to the comic books, the bottom line for all of these companies, whether it be Marvel or IDW or you know, no matter how big or small, is for them to continue to turn out things that are worth buying. Correct. Write stories, create stories, create mm-hmm. artwork that people want to buy. Because I, you know, there's some kind of goofy stuff going on with Marvel right now with some new stuff they're you know, fixing to put out and, and, you know, that's a good way to, no, I mean, we don't have to get into that, but that's a good way to really, I mean, you can't just put just anything out there and people buy it. No, but the, but to the point though, we, I think we all agree. There's no reason not to continue with the digital side of the publishing arm. Uh, The, the, the people who go in that local shop every week, to buy those physical copies, whether they've gone ahead and gotten the digital one too, just so they don't get behind. I think there's very little chance that they're not going to continue to buy the physical copy of the book as well. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, this makes sense. And Marvel's made no kind of statements about it one way or the other, uh, but you would assume they're going to follow DC's lead on that. So yeah, something that recently came to my attention and it's the character we all talk about before because so we wonder what's going to happen now that Netflix is over. And we all know the Ben Affleck movie, but Daredevil. Did y'all know there was actually in 1997, there was another script for Daredevil never got made? I did not know that until today. Not until this, you told us. This just recently came to my attention. And uh, the really interesting thing about it was J.M. Uh, Demetrius. Yes, J.M. Demetrius wrote this script. And you can actually find the first act of the script complete online. Go read it. Starts out great. Does actually get into some weird comic booky stuff. Um, there are some space age weapons involved being sold to Kingpin, and that's what Daredevil's trying to stop. They get away from sort of the stuff that doesn't really fit the tone of the rest of the film there. 
in the second half of the film. So the script still needed some work, but I, I would have loved to have seen this movie. So, I don't know. Did y'all not even get to read the synopsis? Because I just brought y'all's attention today, huh? Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to to look it over, but um, I will definitely go read that first act. Who was it being? Um, I guess it. Who was? Who was it being developed for? Like, who had the rights at the time? It was Fox at the time. Okay. Um, the rights, but the the that movie didn't get made. The rights did lapse, and. Fox ended up making the Ben Affleck film too, though, right? I believe so. Yeah, that was Fox. But either way, the rights lapsed. They had to renew them. Somehow or another, it ended up with a completely different creative team, and that's how you got the Ben Affleck movie. But for those of you who do not know J.M. DeMatteis, this guy wrote the greatest run of Justice League ever written. They changed the name to Justice League International. He and Kevin McGuire. It was hilarious if you keep seeing the memes on facebook of batman punching guy gardner in the face that's where that came from okay (laughs) and so just just his sense of humor to this and his background in comic books it really the the origin is very stan lee's original origin mixed with frank miller's uh not a reboot but a retcon kind of a, a slight retcon to it mixed with stan lee's original it all kind of fit together it was very frank miller-esque this plot synopsis the first act of it i would have loved to have seen this movie so i know nobody else actually has any thoughts on it because y'all didn't read it y'all don't know who jm demateus is the way i do whatever but that came to my attention recently and, and i'm just wondering though if we want to see something like that with Daredevil, we keep wondering what they're going to do with these Netflix characters. Does Daredevil come into the MCU? Do we reboot it for a Disney Plus show? Do we keep going with what we were going? Or do we bring in a comic book veteran with a history with a character like J.M. DeMatteis or even Frank Miller and let them redevelop from scratch? And I know they said it was set in the MCU and it was in Netflix, but did we really get enough concrete tie to what's going on in the movies to worry about having to continue these shows from where they were, or can we start them over? No, I, I really think that it's okay to start them over. I, I'm fine with, and because I want them to start some of them over, like, mm-hmm. and it's kind right. of this package deal because of the way they did it. That you know, I feel like now the Daredevil stuff I think was the most separated, and other than the Punisher. I mean, and the Punisher was great too. So, I mean, I have no problem keeping those things intact. But I think I would rather, especially with Daredevil, I think what I would really like to see is a a reboot of Daredevil, but with the same people involved, the same cast. But see, but then you start getting then you have confusion between what's canon and what's not. Well. And not even really a confusion thing, but the people involved with it are used to doing it such of a certain way that they're going to fall back into the same groove, which I have no problem with. I love that Daredevil series. That was the best series out of the bunch, consistently. Would you rather see it if they pick Daredevil? I mean, at some point, they're going to do Daredevil again. Would you prefer to see it done as a TV series again or as a movie? 
Or would you prefer it be recast and completely restarted? Well, I mean, at this point, like at this point, I don't have a problem with the TV shows because they're good. The new TV shows for Marvel, these actual MCU TV series are going to be so integrated into what's going on in the movies as well that, you know, if you go do a TV show, yeah, it's going to be tied in pretty tightly, but. Um, I mean, you I know, there's some rumors floating point. around out there that Peter Parker's lawyer in this next film with all these it accusations that he's a Spider-Man is going to be Matt Murdock. And it should. There is never a point in time in the MCU when someone goes, I need a lawyer, that one of two people don't walk in, Matt Murdock or Jen Walters. Period. If any other lawyer shows up in these movies and it's not one of them, you are wasting money. You're throwing money away. You're saying, oh, look at this really cool money. Go over there. That's what you're doing when you don't do that with these lawyers. It's Because Jerry Hogarth doesn't exist at all. Who? (laughs) (laughs) I'm messing with you. They changed Jerry Hogarth for the show. It wasn't a lawyer. But anyway, no, but you... I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. To Andrew's actual question, TV show or movie, I've really got no problem with TV shows at this point because... I enjoyed them so much. They've proven they can do that. And I don't need everything integrated into the MCU either. Like Andrew was mentioning a minute ago, these new shows that Disney Plus is doing are so obviously going to be closely tied to the MCU. So now there's less problem with doing a series. I, I still have a problem doing a series. I don't care if... What I'm seeing on television is tied to what I'm seeing in the movies. Oh, I'm good. Care less. I could care less if they're even tied together. I just want a good story about a yeah. character I love. Yeah. Well done. That's well, it. And there are some characters that I actually would kind of like to see them consider characters that they're not likely to ever bring into the MCU proper and, and do something with them, you know, make series and you don't have to tie it in. You don't have to, act like it's part of the same thing, but you can make those stories with those characters that you're really not using because you don't want to integrate them into the MCU. Like what they did with Legion. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of its own thing. It does its own thing. Right. It's not connected to the, necessarily connected to the Fox X-Men universe. It's just a show about a character. Right. And that works really well. And and you'll get the niche audience for it and, and build the fan support and just make a good show. You know what? While we're talking about Legion, Legion was really good for 1.9 seasons. You didn't like the, the end season? of the second season? Uh, nine tenths of it I did. That's what I'm trying to say. 1.9. The last episode of the second season, every character in that show acted so far out of character, I want to throw my remote at the freaking television. Hmm. Am I getting disagreement here? Oh, no, no. I haven't seen the second season. I only saw the first season. Okay. Now, I never did Legion comics or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, we definitely saw some... We saw some things that didn't go the way that I wanted them to, for sure. But I kind of got the impression that there was going to be some drastic change in the last and the third season, the third and last season. And that that was kind of the, the setup. And I haven't watched the third season yet. Cause the last episode of the second one pissed me off too bad. Is the third season even out? Uh, I believe so. 
Huh. Should be. I somehow seem to have missed that. Well, that show dropped off a lot of people's radars after season two. Well, I mostly I watched still it. It was a show I enjoyed, and the Dan Stevens is fantastic. He is, yeah. The show, the show was great. They did make some changes to the character for the sake of the show, really just to make it more understandable, mm-hmm. which sounds weird because that show is so whacked out. Mm-hmm. And so confusing and so complicated that to say they actually made it more understandable than what's going on in the comic books, but it's true. Okay, whenever you talk about a character created by Chris Claremont and uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, yeah, it was weird. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they did actually make what was going on there a little more understandable for the purposes of the show. Basically, in the comic book, every one of his personalities had a different power. Okay. They did kind of simplify that for the show, but it was also very disassociative in the traditional sense as well. He never knew what one personality was doing over the other, and it made a really interesting read in the book. Very interesting character, and I did. I loved the show. The first season of that show is so good, and whenever you finally figure out what's going on, and mm-hmm. I love the episode where he's trapped in his own head, but he's in the classroom. He creates the classroom, and he's sitting there working it out himself about mm-hmm. what's actually happening to him. Right. Perfectly written episode, because not only is he explaining it to himself, he's letting the audience in on what's going on. And I was, like I said, way into that show. I loved season two. The last episode of season two pissed me off. Everybody acted out of character. I don't know why they made that right, that hard right turn or hard left turn, but mm-hmm. they did. And so I haven't watched season three, but I will because I was, I was invested enough in that show that I owe it to myself to finish it. So we'll see. Maybe I'll do that this week. Maybe I'll I'll watch the third season of Legion because apparently mm-hmm. it is on Hulu. So yeah, love I love the science fictionary's ability to uh, go on the most random of tangents. <laughs> right. Bring it back Man, around. That's anyway. the beauty of it. Yes. It's it's relevant. I, I love it. It is relevant. So Daredevil. Oh yeah, we didn't let you speak <laughs> on that topic before we got on our Legion rants, did we? <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um I mean I'll I'll tell you right now exactly what you do with Daredevil. He shows up in an MCU movie and then you just don't talk about like specifics from the show. He shows up Foggy's there. Karen can be there. Daredevil is a superhero who does this, and you don't bring up these other things. You don't. You don't have to. Don't ask. Don't tell. It. it, it if, and if you're watching the movie, you don't say anything that says, "Oh no, that specifically didn't happen." And you also don't say anything that says, "Like, oh, this did specifically happen." You just do it. These things don't have to be. Exactly. These things don't have to be. Spelled out. Complicated. Mm-hmm. It's like I was talking about with DC that last time. Of like, you don't need any. You don't need any of that. Just, just, just do it, and people will like it. Yeah, I mean, and if they have questions, there are podcasts like ours that can explain it for exactly. them. Exactly. That's what we're here. I mean, for. that's honestly easy enough to do. I mean, if you look at, I mean, you've got a movie in the MCU that essentially does that. Mm-hmm. In the Incredible Hulk. Exactly. You, he right, mentions Harlem. Ever he mentions Harlem like like one time, you know. 
and and um, and a deleted scene from the movie, and, and don't ask all you, you don't say, oh, you look different. I would be so mad because I've I've seen movies that do this before where they recast. If like with with War Machine and Hulk, if they're like, you look different since the last time I saw you. <laughs> what happened? Like that's the worst. You just don't. You're right, the Incredible Hulk. You don't address it. You don't go. So that time you were in Brazil, you, it happened or it didn't happen. If you love the Incredible Hulk, then yes, that 100% happened. And if you hated that movie, no, that didn't happen. It, it doesn't matter. I love that movie. It was like so weird, Hulk. but I like that movie. I liked it too. Yeah. Not nearly as bad as people act like it was. Oh no, that was a that was a good movie. It's yeah. just a just a, just an average nice superhero movie. Mm, nothing wrong with that. Well, it's one yeah. that everybody tries to put at the very bottom of the MCU, but it, it's really no. it's really better than that. You're talking about, but when you're talking about movies, the quality of the MCU has been so consistently yes. being at the bottom of the MCU. Yeah, it's like, is oh yeah, the not actually that bad. Right, that's the thing. Everybody's like, well, this was the worst MCU movie. It's like, yeah, but they're all good movies. Like, yeah, like yeah, some of them, the some part. of them are exceptional movies, and the rest are you know good, fun to watch movies. It's like. The worst of the MCU movies are, oh, that was fun. MCU movies are are like pizza. Even even when it's bad, it's good. We've all caught up on Picard at this point. Yes. Have, so you, you finish? finished it? I haven't finished it. I'm not even sure I want to anymore. Finish it. Finish it. Well, I'm going to let, no, yep, Marisha, go ahead and go ahead and tell us what you thought of Picard as a whole. The series. Now I, that you finished it. I really enjoyed it. I thought that the last episode was the most Star Trek of the episode of the whole season. It you know dealt with a lot of really Star Trek themes, and I, I really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people feel like it was some of the characters were inconsistent, and you know, like I said before, I could have done without thing the you know it being quite the violence being quite so graphic or quite so many f-bombs but you know being an adult as i am i really enjoyed it i really did i enjoyed getting to see patrick stewart as uh, jean-luc picard again i enjoyed seeing him quote shakespeare i i really liked it it was it was different it was it definitely had a, a different tone I think, but um, it was beautiful. The show's beautiful, and uh, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the ending. Um, if it had ended badly, I think I probably would not have liked it. Um, but I, I thought that it had a very uh, Star Trek kind of ending. Yeah, I mean, overall, well, I enjoyed it. But I, I have I mean, there are some legitimate gripes about character consistency. Uh, I would say that Seven of Nine is the biggest one. Um, character is not is not consistent with with what we had seen from her in the past in a number of ways but overall i mean patrick stewart did a phenomenal job with this series and overall i would say I, I enjoyed it but i do understand the complaints some people have i will be curious to see what you think about it if you decide to finish it you know you being way way more versed in trek than i am yeah, I've. Uh, I was just saying, my, I might be just enough of a casual Trek fan that some of the things that are bothering people who are way more uh, involved with the the lore, you know, things that are bothering people, and and that may be 
part of why some of those things aren't bothering me as much. But I will be curious to see what you think about it. I will finish it. I promise I will finish it. I will give you all my thoughts on it next time we record. Um, I, I have a, my biggest issue with it. My biggest issue with it so far, just from what I have seen, has literally it's been either consistently having a problem with it or consistently not. Like it is that, like whenever I say it's inconsistent, that's what I mean. Like I can't get to a point where. I either hate it or love it hmm. because there will be moments in there where I will get it and I will be intrigued and I will feel like I'm watching Star Trek and there will be moments where I go, Oh my God, like what in the hell are y'all thinking? And, and I can't, I can't stay on an evil kill with it either way. I'm up and I'm so up and down with this show. Okay. This one's nitpicky, but this is Star Trek fans. The character who, when it, before he resigned from Starfleet, she calls him JL. She calls him JL, JL, his first initials throughout the entire series. When we had, and I was, when they first met, I was okay with that. On a personal level, she can call him JL if she wants to. If John don't have a problem with that, I don't have a problem with that. But when we got the flashback and she's calling him that while they're both Starfleet officers, crawled all over me. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just stupid, if I'm nitpicky, but I mean, it's, I don't know. It, it is what it is. And sometimes it's weird. Like I enjoyed seeing Riker and Troy again. I enjoyed that episode. Um, but I understand now that they're all retired. They can be on that personal level, but it just feels strange seeing that much f familiarity amongst characters. Like there's no formality left to the, the Starfleet structure of it at all anymore. And it, it just feels weird. Like that actually makes sense. That's actually perfectly normal human behavior. I shouldn't have a problem with that. But the one I will still stand by and have a problem with is that woman calling Admiral Picard J.L., his first two initials, not even a freaking name, when she's a freaking lieutenant in Starfleet. That bothered the hell out of me. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> um, my, my friend and business partner that I do my own podcast with, she's a big fan of Star Trek and has been watching Picard and she told me what the ending was. Yes, and so some things I've heard about the ending I feels very, like, is one of the things that makes me go, God, do we even want to finish this? But Marisha says the ending feels very trick, so I'll finish it. Uh, wait, so you know what? Okay, yeah. So I just want to say, you know, I'm not going to say what it is in case people haven't seen it or spoil it, but um, interesting cool i guess that's it um <laughs> that's my that's my opinions on picard how about sci-fi how about overdone sci-fi cliche at this point <laughs> i guess even marisha just laughed and nodded <laughs> it could you could make that argument yeah yeah i mean but what sci-fi cliches haven't been overdone at this point no, I, I know, I know. I'm just being 
I have I have to finish the series. I may even go back from the beginning and watch the entire thing again, so I can give y'all good complete thoughts on what I think of the series. Um, but we're going to move on to happier times in Trek because Marisha and David have been watching all of the films in order. True. Marisha had never seen them all. David had never seen any of them, and we have been getting their reactions as first-time viewers throughout the series of this podcast. Uh, so both of you watched uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, correct? We did yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm just loving the look on Marisha's face right now. I'm going to let her start. Yeah, please. You want me to start? Okay. Yeah. So initially when I sat down and I first started the um David had watched two episodes watched two two of the movies and I was like oh I'm gonna catch up and so I watched like the first 10 minutes and then my kids distracted me and I didn't finish it but so I'm sitting there and I'm watching like the opening sequence right there's this guy and he's riding across the desert and I was like wow that is a really cool shot that's really that's really pretty um and I thought that Leonard Nimoy had directed it. And I was like, well, you know, that makes sense. He's really artsy. And then uh, then they've got the scene where, you know, he's climbing up the the, the cliff. And then, you know, kind of the light kind of blinking in and out. I was like, oh, that's really artsy, too. See, Leonard Nimoy's so artsy. And then it flashed across the bottom of the street screen, directed by William Shatner. And I was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. I would never have thought of, of Shatner as a cinematic... Um, Pretty shots, kind of director. I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm sorry, Marisha. I was gonna let you finish that thought. I put my finger up so I could tell you when you finished that thought. I was gonna say something. Okay. But things you don't, things you don't expect from William Shatner are a running theme of this discussion and this movie. That is the truth. That is really because, and so, you know, because like I said, I was expecting, you know, I know uh, Leonard Nimoy as a photographer and just as all around kind of an artsy person. So when I was like, oh, look, it's so pretty. Oh, you know. Um, and so it, that was a little, un, you know, that right, right off the bat, that was kind of unexpected. Um, so it was interesting to see some uh, renegade Vulcan, you know, kind of running around the galaxy trying to uh, hijack a starship to go find God. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. and it deals with, I mean, Star Trek's never shied away from deep themes, but mm-hmm. I mean, this one like tackles the, the ultimate deep theme, you know, like the, the search for, for God, for, you know, for meaning, for where we come from, you know, all of that. Yeah, it was, it was something. And it was interesting when you were talking about, whenever I was reading the synopsis for the Silver Surfer uh, comic you were talking about, I was reading it and I was like, you know, it seemed like there were, I wondered if the reason you had pulled it up was because of the parallels to to Star Trek Undiscovered Country. Is that that the the right movie? Is that the right name? No. Uh, Final Frontier. Final Frontier. That's right. Okay. Um, If... If the reason you had pulled it was because it there were a lot of parallels with um, Star Trek: The Final Frontier, you know, just in sort of the idea of you know a deity, uh, or, you know, or someone who claims to be a deity who is not benevolent. Yeah, it's it's really something. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious to hear David's take on it. 
Um, Because mostly I just kind of got done with it and I was like, well, that was unexpected. Do you, do you like the movie? I did like the movie. You did like the movie. Okay. That's interesting. You did not like the movie. It it has taken me a while to decide if I like the movie. Same thing with, with the previous one. The first three Star Trek movies, I was like, oh, I love this. And then this was like, these last two, I've, I've really had to be like, do I like this? Because it's really hard not to like a Star Trek movie, right? Because right. even when they're ba- they're light, they're, um, what did we make the comparison to earlier? When in, uh, I know it's pizza, pizza, but. Yes. Yeah, pizza, but what was that in reference to? I for- completely forgot. What were we talking about? Oh, Marvel it's, movies. No, I'm th- Marvel movies. Uh, it's like that. Even when they're bad, they're good because there's so much alike in them with the characters. And mm-hmm. my my favorite parts of the movie were just the characters and their interacting. Um, the camping scenes. Yes. With the three of them were Both sit at the ball. Those binoculars. So great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just scowl. Just. <laughs> yeah, and like, it's like I was feeling exactly what I was feeling and. When they start singing, um, they start singing about the campfire, and and, and Spock's like, "The life is not a dream." <laughs> 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 well, and it's just really interesting stuff, and and really, well, really funny stuff to watch. And so, I, I liked the movie. I did like the movie. Do I think it was a good movie? I don't know. It kind of like blew my mind. I'm kind of like, dude, my thoughts are all over the place, just like this movie, huh? Okay, so. I loved all of them between it, and then it starts out pretty normal. They get back on the starship and on, the, I mean, on the Enterprise, and they're um, they go to the planet to just save the diplomats. You know, seems like a it's, like, it's actually a pretty nice like a uh, hook. You know, all they know is that they got to save these diplomats, right? And right or or these leaders, and they get there, and then it just spirals out into this like, oh, what the frick is happening now? I thought I think it was cool uh, seeing Spock's brother. Uh, that calls for a really funny scene later when it's like. When he wouldn't shoot him, and, and they're arguing in the cell about you wouldn't shoot your brother, and he's like, "I don't have a brother." I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, "I have a half brother." <laughs> right. <laughs> Love it. Um, so literal. I actually thought his brother was a really interesting character mm-hmm. uh, because from the very beginning, you think he's gonna like you know kill this bald guy in the desert, but he just grabs him and like does that thing to him, right? And then later, whenever the whenever. Um, the Enterprise shows up, he's, the first thing he does is forget, like, what have you done? I didn't want bloodshed. Like, he obviously didn't want anybody to get hurt, and he truly does believe what he's saying, that there is this God that he can go find, and he's just trying to get there, and he, and he wants to bring these people along for, for them. Right. For their own good. He, he doesn't, all he needs is the ship, you know, and I, I thought that was really interesting, and one of my favorite things about this about all the Star Trek movies, and it still holds up, and I'm so glad it hasn't left yet, is that there's no... And when I say that, it's I mean modern movies, it's like, I do this all the time, where it's like, I talk about this all the time, where in movies, plots take a million years to kick off, because everyone sits around and talks about it, and does stupid stuff, because people are bad writers, and they need to have filler to make a two-hour movie, when we really only have an hour of content, Right. In, th- in this movie, I like that there was just, like, straight from point to point to point. Um, I like that nobody ever acted out of character. There was no... Okay, here's my perfect example. So, in a movie, whenever, right after uh, Bones sees his father, 
he would have gone with Spock's brother. He would have been like, yeah, but Spock and Kirk stay back. So McCoy is like, well, I guess you got to count me out. There's no, none of that stupid stuff, you know, it's just straightforward like that. So I like that. Those are just things I liked about the movie. Um, I don't know how I feel about the whole God thing. That was insane. And do they ever explain what that thing was? Because mm. it wasn't God. No. Just an alien entity that had been trapped there. Um, and he had found a way to, the way I always understood it, it was more conjecture than directly than directly addressed was he had found a way to call out to Cybok. He was just trying to escape the planet. He had been, he was an evil alien entity that had been trapped there for mm-hmm. centuries. Well, I love that the second they figure out that he's not God, uh, he's like, Oh, you're not God. You shot him. And that's what I mean by there's no, because it's the second he shoots Kirk, it's like, what kind of God would do that? And everybody's on board with realizing it. There's no, you know, acting stupid about it. And so it made me really like that. It made me really like the character and not, it made me realize, oh, he's not stupid. You know, that's what I thought was interesting about him was he's really not stupid. He's also not really delusional, is he? Because if he was delusional, then after Kirk got shot, he'd be like, well, you know, that's just God's will. Like he, he snapped out of it and then sacrificed himself to save everybody else, to give them time to get off of the planet. And I thought that was really cool. It made for a really interesting, likable character. And it was a, it was a pretty good antagonist. When it turns out it's not really the real antagonist, but you can call him the antagonist. I thought that was really good. Yeah. And I love the ending. When, mm-hmm. when they, when the Klingons have to rescue Kirk, because they, because Spock convinces that that Klingon general to go in there and tell them to to quit whining, basically, and then Spock, I mean not Spock, and then uh, Kirk gets rescued by them, <laughs> and they have to like apologize. These these people have been chasing them the whole movie. They have right. to apologize to Kirk. That was so much but fun. You, you I, also I really you also get one of uh, Spock's best lines in anything there in that moment at the end. What, please, yeah, what is it he said? Please, sir, not in front of the Klingons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> when he goes to hug Spock, right? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty that was great. Really great. That was a great Spock moment. Yes. Um, Spock was great in this in this one. I, I think my favorite line may have been, "I liked him better before he died." <laughs> yeah that was pretty oh, good um, but it's it's it, uh, I, I mean I, it's a movie I enjoy but it's it does have some it's got some goofy stuff in it I mean Spock's uh, rocket boots are, are pretty goofy right. <laughs> yeah those rocket boots are and, awesome. I, and I like oh like God. when they're trying to go up the, the turbo shaft and or they're trying <laughs> to go up the shaft and it's like Spock just like he just like kind of looks at him and he disappears like he went to his quarters and got his boots or something. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, this rocket. It's like they couldn't move freely around the ship, but mm-hmm. Spock still went and got his boots. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I love whenever they're all piled on together and they start sinking and they're going down. 
And, yeah. Like, the bad guys are like under them watching them. <laughs> like, don't uh, shoot it. Well, I mean, yeah. And then, yeah. well, I can't. Can't you turbo blast them? Oh no, that would put us at an unbelievable speed. I feel like that was like the most like corny right. sci- uh, <laughs> sci-fi line ever. You know, it's like, oh no. That would put us, you know, send us up, up at an unbelievable a speed. rate of ascension. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just like, yeah, so they were yeah, definitely... I don't know. All the other Star Trek movies we've watched up to this point, I would rewatch in a heartbeat, and I don't know about this one. I, I, I don't know if I would. At the end of the day, when we've seen all of these, and I'm going to be, you know, if I ever, like, do, like, a binge watch again of all of them in a row, and I've seen them all... I don't know if this is one that I would skip or, or actually watch. Hmm. There are some good moments, but I feel like I'd probably just skim to those good moments. Just watch the watch that scene on YouTube and just move on. Exactly. I'd watch the camping scenes on YouTube and then move on to the next one. Yeah. Well, what I this movie though, it, it is like you say, as far as rewatchability goes. It may be the least rewatchable. Doesn't mean it wasn't a movie I didn't like. I did like it. Um, I always thought Cybok was an underrated character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you made that point. Um, the thing that struck me about it, especially after I got older, or actually when I got older, period, and I had a better understanding of the history of this series and the history of the actors involved, William Shatner in this movie. This is, okay, how do I explain it? I've always felt like you watch Shatner and Kirk evolve together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they call him back to Enterprise A, he hasn't even had a good shakedown cruise yet, and Kirk tells the Admiral, there must be other ships in the quadrant. Other ships, yes, but not experienced commanders. Captain, I need Jim Kirk. And Kirk goes, oh, please. (laughs) That was perfect. Because you've gotten to a point with this character where he's built this legend. And Kirk himself is just so over this legend. He's just over it. He doesn't need this crap no more. I love it. I love the self-awareness. Right, exactly. It's the self-awareness of the character, but there's also the self-awareness of the actor there. Mm -hmm. 25 years before that movie was made, William Shatner never would have said that line. No. Certainly never would have written that line. Exactly. Which, I mean, it didn't write it, but wouldn't have directed the film, wouldn't have had the line in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, but that was the thing about William Shatner. We hear all these stories about how arrogant he was in the 60s. And it did cause a rift between him, between him and people like George Takei. And, it, you know, those stories are well known. I have to relive them. But was a very you know serious took the kind of guy who took himself too seriously mm-hmm. that's what i'm trying to say kind of like jim kirk by the time, did. right exactly and by the time you make this movie kirk and shatner have both evolved to the point that they're able to make fun of themselves yep. they're able mm-hmm. they don't have to take themselves so seriously all the time anymore and i love that yeah I just I always felt like we watched Kirk and Shatner sort of grow together and evolve together. Mm-hmm. They really were more than any other actor and character in this series. They were the Kirk was the character most like the actor who portrayed him. 
and mm-hmm. you watch them, their personalities change and evolve together. As Shatner grew, so did Kirk. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love that. I, I love that moment in that film. And you, I think probably the fourth or fifth time I watched that movie, I tried to grow up a little bit, and it sort of hit me. Like, Shatner can make fun of himself now, and so can Kirk. Mm-hmm. And I just always enjoyed that moment. So, yeah. <laughs> what a funny line. It was pretty good. Yeah. So, but anyway, anybody else have any thoughts on anything we've talked about tonight? Or? I don't think so. I think we've about exhausted all of the topics and a few that weren't on the list. Yeah. We, well, that's the great thing about our show, though, is we can get off on tangents and we just let it free flow. And there's not a lot of structure to it. It just feels like a conversation. That's what I'm. That's what I'm usually trying to go for, anyway. Yep. So I have I have a question. So this was we've seen some pretty weird Star Trek movies now twice in a row. Does it get any weirder? <laughs> um, kind of hoping you say yes. A different kind of weird. The next one you're going to watch, David comes comes back more towards the status quo. I would say it, it, that as far weird. as the the goofy weirdness, yeah. like you're that that you're past that. But no, this one Star Trek Six is the same director as Wrath of Khan. Okay, so you get a little more back towards, like I said, the status quo. It's, it's another uh, Nicholas Meyer film. Well, and, and the next generation movies that I've watched are not nearly so campy. You know, some of them are very mm-hmm. weird, very sci-fi weird, but not like a, like, space, you know, whales weird. Space whales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new they sci-fi franchise. They were Okay. But okay. they were in a starship. You know what that means? You know what that means? They were in space. You're right. They were in space for time. And also that means that the idea of space whales has been untapped. It's true. That IP is still open. We should capitalize. There were actually some characters in one of the Star Wars series that were very whale-looking that were dubbed space whales. Oh, yeah. So, well, dang we it, could, I tried. We <laughs> could just we could just have a just general discuss all the 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 weird space whale characters and all the franchises. Maybe that's the space thing. sharks yet. That's uh, the next one. It's true. We could even you know like have a, like rip on the baby shark theme. Oh, you God. know. <laughs> It's Space Shark. Okay, and that's it. Alright. Please keep that in the show. No, great great place to end tonight's podcast. Until next time, Marisha, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, P Padawans, Princesses and Padawans.com, or on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore Padawans. And Andrew? All right. You can find me running the Twitter account for this show at Sci underscore Fictionary. You can also catch me hosting our other show, Coruscant Radio Underground. And you can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com or you can check us out at thesciencefictionary.com. And David? You guys can find me on Twitter at stay underscore creative DD. Or you can find me on my YouTube channel, Creative D&D. The D&D doesn't stand for Dungeons and Dragons, but we do do videos on that. So if you get confused, that's okay. Come check it out. 
All right. And I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter. And we'll see you next time.